You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1:17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. Hey, Jill, what is that sound in the background like birthday party noise? Who's having a birthday? That's so weird. Oh, I know. It's Afraid Not Podcast. It's our fourth birthday. It's our fourth birthday, you guys. Happy birthday, Afraid Not Podcast. In four years of hearing stories of trusting the Lord and how He's got us even when our lives are afraid not. And today, episode 105, we are celebrating our fourth birthday with Bryn Brown, our new friend and such a fabulous fashionista, amazing, cool lady. You are going to love her and her story today. Yes. they. Her, she and her husband, Mike, just moved to Oklahoma from Kansas with their business. They have 21-year-old twins and... She just has a fantastic story. She's going to talk about a time when her husband had a horrible skiing accident that totally changed the direction that they thought they were going to begin a whole brand new thing. So we are very excited for you to hear the story. It's a story about having faith and saying yes, even when you're afraid. So listen in. You're going to love hearing Bryn Brown. Hi, Bryn. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. So fun to be actually in person together. We sometimes listeners we don't get to be in person as we do these interviews, but we are in the same room together, and it's really a special time to welcome Bryn to celebrate with us our fourth birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! birthday. Have a piece of cake on us. (laughs) Afraid not? Is four years old? What? Oh my goodness! So we're really happy to celebrate tonight, and we, as we're listening, as you are listening to our conversation. We just hope this conversation is a blessing to your life, and uh, Bryn is here to share her story with us, and every story matters, and so we're excited to just hear about it, and would you begin by introducing yourself to our listeners, Bryn? Sure. I'm um, Bryn Brown, mother of twins, boy, girl. I am the president and co-founder of a company called Frontier Justice which is a firearms and fashion store that started in the Midwest. And, and did you say firearms and fashion? I did say wow. firearms and fashion. Just in case you're wondering, listeners, they do go together. Yes, they do. And <laughs> so um, we started in the Midwest. We started in Kansas City, um, where we've lived all of the 30 years of our marriage, pretty much. And um, then we expanded to the Kansas, uh, state of Kansas, and then state of Nebraska, and Maybe soon, state of Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, um, how did you meet your husband? I'm hear that <laughs> story. Well, Mike and I met at University of Missouri. We were, um, he, I was a graduating senior, even though he's a little older than I am. He was still had a semester left. Um, he had maybe taken the <laughs> road less traveled. Some of us take a little longer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we had never met, but we had every single class together with two different majors on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday. That so, is so crazy. I felt like he was following me, and I called him out on it, and he said, no, I think you're following me. And then I thought, oh, goodness, like, <laughs> enough. But um, ultimately, it got to be... February Valentine's Day and he started stalking me for a date and nobody wants to be alone on Valentine's Day so I relented that was our first date we were engaged by April 1st and married on June 5th and that was 30 years ago wow yeah oh my goodness I love the whirlwind what a fun ride yeah Yeah. it's maybe not a story you want your children to hear necessarily that's (laughs) similar to mine and when my kids like did the math and were like you guys really didn't date very long and I was like they were older. I mean, we were in our. We knew what we wanted. It's fine. See, I couldn't even go <laughs> to that. We were twenty-two, so. 
<laughs> I mean, we were 23 and 24. We weren't all really older, but we were yeah, out of college. Yeah, seemed older. So I was like, don't worry about it. In the stories, yeah. Ugh. It's maybe not the one that you want them to hang on to, necessarily. But when you know, you know, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. When you know, you know. And so um, the awesome business, the frontier justice business, that's such, such a fascinating idea. How did that come about? Well, um, we've kind of, for me, I've uniquely had three sections to my life, right? So the first section was being in a career that had to do with mental health. And I was the director of development for a battered women's shelter. And I loved working in nonprofit. I'd worked in children's agencies and then ultimately the battered women's shelter, an international agency in that decade that I was working without kids. And I always love that's really what I'm about like it's not about the money it's more about like making a difference or feeling like you're working for something that you're really passionate about I hit pause and stayed home with our twins for 13 years and meanwhile Mike had been having a career in banking and you know he had he loved banking it was a great career Um, we were blessed and fortunate to have a lot of resources because of that so giving back had become part of our lives but in January of 2013, we were at our second home, Beaver Creek, and Mike took that proverbial last run down the ski um, slopes with our son who wanted to take a last run. One last run. One last run at the end of the day. Don't do that. Don't ever <laughs> let anybody talk you into that. But it, that last run changed the trajectory of our lives and really wove the pieces of the beginning of our life into this section where we've gotten to work together. So Mike ended up having two shoulder surgeries, six weeks apart, and then a knee surgery because Mm -hmm. of his ski accident. And we knew he was never going to ski again. It just wasn't worth the risk. It was, it was a really hard summer in 2013. And in Colorado, we went back there to have the surgery because all the best orthopedic surgeons are in the Vail Valley. And so he had these surgeries and for the first time, Mike got to see his life, on by sitting in pause, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so he got to watch me with the twins and I've been home with them all these years now. And he saw how we interacted and how they were interacting with me. And, and he'd been so busy building an empire that he forgot there was a family at home that was also being built. And, and although he's a great dad and he's always been a great dad and he was very involved when he was at home, he was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that summer really gave him an opportunity to look at our lives under a magnifying glass and say, when is enough enough? Like, mm-hmm. when, when do you have enough financial resources? So at, at, in my true form, he was on the back of the napkin math trying to figure out how much money we needed to make it all the way to death if, <laughs> if, if he never worked again kind of thing. And um, he decided, it, this is it. I'm going to retire from banking. And I was, I was 1,000% behind him. I knew that he wouldn't retire because... Anybody who's met him knows he has way too much energy for that, and um, it just. So you knew it was going to be some. Kind I of knew next something chapter. was around the corner. I didn't know what that was, and I think this is the the real God moment in both of our lives because, for the job that he had, he was a bond trader. They called it the golden handcuffs, right? Nobody walks away mm-hmm. from a job that you mm-hmm. make millions of dollars a year sure. doing. No they one call, does that. They call it the handcuffs because people stay. People yeah. stay. Yeah. Yeah. You're making that much money. That's yeah. what you walk away from. You don't, you don't walk away. And so when he went in in October of 2013, he literally walked into his bank office and said, I'm quitting. And everyone freaked out because in the level of banking that he was doing, they really assumed he was going to another bank. He was starting something. He had been recruited, something, because you don't leave a career like that. But no, he was, he was like, no, really, I'm, I'm just quitting. I'm going to stay home. And they're like, yeah, they start locking things up. They're sending him out the door and everybody was in a panic. Wow. It was, it was a strange day, honestly, to think after so many years of just such hard work and then he was just going to be at home all day. I'm mean, like, how do you even say this to your kids? Dad just retired at 43. <laughs> <laughs> and so it really, there was like a six-week time period where he was just very tired. You know, two surgeries. We'd, we'd been through a mm-hmm. lot. It was a big decision to say, mm-hmm. we're going to have entire lifestyle change. We're, we're changing on a dime and we're doing this together. And um, we just, we were serious about it. But for about six weeks, um, I won't kid you, that was really fun, the six weeks. <laughs> like we, it was like no stress, and people were like calling us like, what? You're staying, you're not going to work anymore kind of thing. And we had a farm because our daughter was a barrel racer. 
So he was on the tractor one afternoon and he came back in and he goes, yeah, I don't think I can do this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I knew you weren't a farmer. So <laughs> I mean, if I grew up on a farm, I knew he wasn't a farmer. So literally, honestly, God, in the next few weeks, just two or three weeks, weaved together some crazy events. He went to a National Christian Foundation presentation with a company in Kansas City where they had donated 10% of their company for kingdom resources. And one of the things that was really hard for me was that I had spent the first part of my life giving back personally, you know, with my talent and my degree and my work, it was giving back to people in need. And then that second section where Mike was working, I was staying at home. I'd really, really enjoyed being able to give back anonymously and really affect people's lives with financial resources. But when you retire early, it really shuts all that down where you're not you're going to have to find a way to give back with your hands not with your tithe because your money is stopped right you're trying to preserve a nest egg till death is what he had in his mind so (laughs) um so we he went to this presentation and actually one of our children were sick that day I was supposed to go with him and he came back home and he said I think we're supposed to do this I think we're supposed to go into business with God we're supposed to keep create kingdom resources together doing do you have any ideas <laughs> like yeah, sure let me just get them out of yeah. my back pocket here I've got a whole list I've been sketching this out for a while well and I, and I did have things that interested me and that I wanted to do in Beaver Creek where we had our second home I'd always thought it'd be great to have an art gallery or a boutique and an art gallery combined because I felt like customer service was terrible there and I felt like if somebody could do that right they would just be winning right and it would be fun because I love art and I love all that. And so he was like, um, do you want to move to Beaver Creek? And I'm like, no, because our kids were 13 and I, they'd been in a Christian school in our community since pre-K. And I felt like part of the reason that I grew up in an atheist home, but part of the reason I felt like I had so much stability was that I had been in the same place with mm-hmm. the same people, the same people for right. the entire time growing up. And I felt like that stability was really important I didn't want to take that from our children. So I said, no, I don't want to move to Beaver Creek. Plus, you're not skiing anymore. Like, <laughs> it's kind of not as fun to live there kind of thing. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we, we bat around some ideas. We had a small group with our church, and we were talking to these people in our small group about, gosh, what can we do? What can we do? And one of our friends said, why don't you combine your ideas? And Mike loves hunting and firearms. Why don't you start a range? Because there aren't any good ranges around here. And then you could have your boutique up front. I thought it was really a ridiculous, bad idea. I was like, that sounds literally awful. Like, who does that? Those don't even go together. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, this, if you did it correctly, this could be really successful in that um, I've been in Bass Pro and Cabela's or, you know, big box firearm stores repeatedly. I've never purchased anything in those stores. Right. And because... This I'm not really their demographic. I don't need a pink Carhartt bikini or anything like that. You know, like that's just <laughs> not my thing. It's just not my lane. And so all I've ever purchased from these places are like a bag of almonds or pecans and eating them in the car with the kids is really how it goes because you've looked at the fish a thousand times. You've seen the heads, right. whatever. And so I went and sat in the parking lots of these big box stores and I watched who goes in, who comes out. And for hours I watched this and I'd watched the same thing that I'd experienced in my own life, that whole families would go in or boyfriend, girlfriend, man, woman, man, woman, child. And often like 60 to 70% of the time they would float back out of the store waiting for the husband, boyfriend, significant other while Mm -hmm. they occupied children, read a book, played on an iPad or their phone and ate pecans and so I was like huh it's kind of a missed market and who makes the most decisions about discretionary income in a household women women make the most decisions so if you could leverage men's love of firearms with a woman's desires as well and create it in an environment where whole families feel comfortable coming in the bigger mission would be the second amendment And that is that you have children learning about firearms because no one wants to take their children to a place that feels unsafe to them. Right. And in order to garner their attention and their interest, you have to have the whole family anchored in a space that feels comfortable for everyone. And so really the mission became faith, family, and freedom. So faith was giving back 10% of our profits to community good. 
which fit the first part of my life in nonprofit. Yes. Family was creating these environments where whole families feel comfortable coming in. And I designed all of the Frontier Justices to be spaces where women feel comfortable immediately with the boutique up front and a selection of goods that have nothing to do with firearms. And then freedom for us really is a nod to law enforcement and veterans who've used the tool that we sell in order to protect our rights as Americans. And we really felt like when we started this in 2013, 2014 is, was our year of like planning it, and God was all in that. So from the time we thought of the name Frontier Justice in our bathroom, <laughs> Mike's brushing his teeth, and I was brushing my teeth, and he was on the side of our tub with a computer, and he's like, um, what, what would we name it? And I said well, you know what would be a really cool name is Frontier Justice because it would be a great clothing brand. Doesn't it sound edgy? Wouldn't that be a great clothing brand? Yeah, it does. And he said, hmm, I wonder if there's any. And he's Googling, and he's like, oh, look, the website's available. I'm like, how much does it cost for a domain? He's like, $10. I go, buy it. What can it hurt? And from that moment till the moment we opened our doors in January of 2015, like it was like that all the time. We laughed because it would be like, we need a gunsmith. And then all of a sudden, and a gunsmith would appear. We need uh, fixtures. And a big box store went out of business and we got their fixtures for almost nothing for the boutique. All these things kept happening, just one thing after another, just all these things. And then when we opened our doors in January of 2015, it got hard. It got really hard. <laughs> it was the hardest thing we've ever done, for sure. For sure. Hands down. So many hours every day? It wasn't just the so many hours. It's that, um, first of all, neither one of us had any retail experience, which is a good and terrible all at the same time. Sure. Because we're reinventing wheels that other people have been spinning around on for a while. But because we reinvented how to do things, we went about retail a little bit differently than most retail experts so you would. you didn't necessarily have buyers that had been... I was a buyer for the front end. Mike was a buyer for the back end. Yeah. We both worked the floor. We worked all the time. We were terrified to leave the building on in the first store because no one's going to do it like you do it. No, Are, are they going to greet the customer the right way? Are they going to treat people the right way? Are they going to keep it clean? You know, like all these things. And so... Over time, we had to develop, you know, daily activity worksheets, DAWs, where people, you know, are held accountable for doing it the way that we want to do it, and all the training and human resources. But at first, it was just Mike and I. And in fact, we were so bare bones at one point, we laughed. <laughs> we said, we're so short-staffed one day that we were, like, going to be at the front door, like, hi, welcome to Frontier Justice, and then run to the range and be like, hi, welcome to range check-in. Would you like to, <laughs> would you like to shoot on the range today? <laughs> um, so, you know, when you do a startup, every... I think we thought because God was in it with us, it was going to be this home run mm -hmm. because all year long, every time we needed something, it just showed up. It was like miraculous. We're like, yeah. that God, he's so good. Won't he do it? Well, he's, he's doing <laughs> it. He's doing it. What would you do if you were not afraid to fail? Well, we thought, you know, he called us to it. He told us to do it. He opened every door. And then in January, well, we had our grand opening in February, actually, and there were thousands of people there I mean the community came out in force it was just it was so we had so many friends that came and supported us it was a wonderful thing and then what we didn't know in the industry of firearms ranges in April things really drop off business-wise and you kind of plateau all summer long and then it starts ramping up again in the fall this is the natural trajectory of all ranges is there a reason for that? Well, in the summer, people get busy with lake activities and okay. different things like that, and they just aren't as focused really on training. It's, yeah, it's not hunting season. They're not thinking about training or sitting indoors. They want to be outside doing things. So the summer drops off. So in April of 2015, there was not a single person standing in that store. And Mike and I, we weren't playing around. I think a lot of people felt like we'd probably been sitting on a lot of money and that we were kind of doing a hobby with a little portion of that money. But that was the farthest thing from the truth. We felt like God said to us, I gave it to you and now I want it back. Yeah. You were putting everything in this. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> I haven't wow. told the story it's in a while. It's really a brilliant idea though, because I mean, I, I'm with you. Like if I've ever gone into Bass Pro Shop with my husband, I'm like, this is great. I don't need any camo, and there's right. really nothing in here that I need. So right, neon orange for me. Thank you. Right, right. Like you can't. You smile and you're being nice to your spouse, and you're like, okay, you look, and you're just you know twiddling your thumbs. 
But we were really um, all in. So we sold our house in Beaver Creek. We sold a private jet. We um, ended up selling our farm. We were all in, chips all in. And um, it was really disheartening when you're in April and there's no one in your store. You're like, wait, God, where are you? And then, then we laugh because have you ever read the Bible? Is it ever easy for anybody? Good point. You got a good point. Yeah. I don't think Noah was in his backyard building an ark and people weren't walking by going, why are you spending all your money on that? That's ridiculous. I mean, like, you know, there were naysayers. It wasn't even raining, right? Yes. So there's not a single story in the Bible where God calls somebody and then it's just a home run easy, right? Like, we're like, why didn't we read that a little closer before it came out, <laughs> out of the boat? Before we got out of the boat. Like, it felt a little silly about the whole thing. But, you know, there have been a ton of lessons, a ton of things that we've learned. And I was able to weave my nonprofit background into our for-profit business where I started creating events like um, law enforcement date night for free to appreciate law enforcement. Veterans have a free shoot in the summertime and that we do just to appreciate them for what they do. We sponsor a video every year called the Patriot Feature, which tells a veteran story. You know, we, we, we give back hundreds and hundreds of items to nonprofits doing fundraisers for various things. We let churches use us we, for different activities. We do prayer vigils. So there have been a million ways to give back. But about probably two or three years into Frontier Justice, we started putting um, a letter in each firearms box from Mike and I talking about how thank you for purchasing from our store, but also we want you to know that your ultimate safety really is in God's hands. And mm-hmm. if you haven't turned your life over to God, then there's an opportunity to do that. And then I pointing them to other resources for the sinner's prayer and that sort of thing. And you know, what's crazy about that is we don't hear anything about that forever, ever. That'll go a really long time. And we'll say, I wonder if those do anything. Like you get discouraged occasionally. Sure. Like, are we doing anything like, here? Like, is anyone reading that? Is this happening? <laughs> and the sure as we say this out loud, now now that we've talked about this, it'll ha- I mean, I'm not kidding. Every time we ask the question, we'll get an email or a letter of somebody saying, oh my gosh, I got home and I opened this box and I just can't believe that you're so bold to proclaim the truth, or I was down and I was, th- I, I really appreciate you pointing me to the information. There's been both sides of it, believers who are just shocked that we're so bold. And then we just think, why is this bold? It's the environment that we live in in this society. Like we have faith, family, and freedom on the front of our buildings. And we've had people say, that's so brave. Like, what is so brave about that? Why has that come to the point where putting the word faith on anything? Mm-hmm. And proclaiming that you're a Christian is brave. Mm. That's scary to me a little bit that yeah. that we're to this point. Yeah, because there was a time that that was it was the opposite. It, everyone, yeah. you just assume people were Christian rather than questioning if they were or giving them kind of the side eyes. So we play Christian music in our stores, and we've reached a ton of people with faith, family, and freedom. A lot for the American spirit, but not confusing it with Christianity. Sometimes people get a little confused. They're like, what does God have to do with guns? We didn't say it had anything to do with it. <laughs> We're just saying that's who we are. Right. And this is what this is our why of why we did it. We wanted to give back. We wanted the American spirit to prevail, especially in a society where that seems to be floundering. And we want to appreciate and respect people who have allowed us to have the kind of privilege that we do in America. And um, it's been great. It's It's been a ride. There have been some dark times, I won't lie. <laughs> there have been some definite faith-building times where you're just... We, we've hit some very, very low... We opened our second store in Kansas two years after our first store. And when the second store opened, we thought this is going to be a home run because it's in a tourism area. It's by the Kansas Speedway and by an outlet mall called The Legends. And we thought it's already got foot traffic, which we didn't have in our first location. We had to build it up. And it came out of the gate so slow. (laughs) And we were like, what is happening? And it was just really humbling and really faith building. And I'm I'm probably more embarrassed than not of how weak I felt like my faith was because, you know, when you worry, it's basically 
saying, I don't trust God's got this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a worrier by nature. And so there were some really low points where we're like, I don't know where this is going. And God has brought some crazy miracles through the process too. But um, it, it it will really take you down. During that time period, I did a um, Bible study with Priscilla Schreier, um, The Armor of God, and mm. Ephesians. And how you have to put on the entire armor of God, which I've joked, that's why I've gained weight. That armor is heavy. <laughs> um, I like that. But um, it, that was really useful during the time period to be thinking about that. And for me, really, Christian music. I'm not musical. You know this. I've told you. I, I'm like I'm embarrassed to tell people. I'm like, I know so little about music. But for me, having grown up as an atheist, I think... Christian music has done more to shape my faith Mm. than any other format. I mean, I've had some great pastors. I've had some great Bible studies. But I still feel like that soul-building faith that gives you trust and just that that peace that you can get from the Lord has come almost solely through Christian music. Music can be magical. Yeah, Yeah, listening to Christian music has has probably done the most to shape my personal faith, just having grown up the way that I did. I don't think I... So let's talk about that. So, yeah, so talk about, like, what is your salvation story? And I want to hear, I know our listeners are like, I'm so on edge to hear this because you have this amazing story about God using you with this awesome business, faith, family, freedom, and then, but you come from a home that was atheistic. Wow. So how does that happen? Yeah, well, God. He's God. He's God. He knocks, right? Yeah, I grew up in a farm family, and I had great parents. My father's passed away. My mom's still alive. Um, Really good people that meet needs, you know, physical needs. Mm. Emotionally and spiritually, almost zero needs (laughs) met. And so I have a, I have a little bit, I've, I'm 51, so I recognize I've carried through life maybe a bit of a turtle shell, right? You protect yourself when you don't have emotional and spiritual maturity. You um, have to learn how to have that. And I think that's kind of a relationship with God, too. I think people, more often than not, more often than they acknowledge, shape their relationship with God based on their relationship with their earthly father, because mm-hmm. it's intuitively yes. the same, right? It's yes. a shadow of it. Whether we realize it or not, maybe we don't even... Right. It's sometimes triggering to say the word father yeah. like that. Yes. yes. For a lot of people, yes. And I love my dad immensely, but he was a provider, a German farmer who mm-hmm. adamantly was atheistic, did not believe in God to the very bitter end. And he never told me he loved me until the day I was leaving him for the last time. And I said, I love you. He said, I love you too. It's the only time in my entire mm-hmm. life I heard him say it. Wow. And I only, I don't say that like I'm a victim. I really don't. I knew he loved me. I did know that he loved me. But he just was not great at expressing that, nor was my mother. And so um, I was I was a little bit, you know, I think it's kind of where my feminism comes from. I'm very pro-woman. And it's all about, like, taking care of yourself. There's an independence in me that's fierce. And I think that a lot of friends have kind of been like, wow, (laughs) you really are very independent at times in my life. But I married, I met Mike in college and um, our first year, we got married after six months of knowing each other. I had been engaged twice prior to Tim, Tim, Mike. So, and, and no, not great stories there, but nothing terrible either. More just like decided these aren't the guys for me kind of thing. And so when Mike and I met, I was actually engaged to someone else and when he saw the ring was off my hand, he, that's when he started the hardcore yeah. press of, you got to go out with me. Just one date, and you'll never regret it. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is true, which honestly was, is very true. It was, a, it was a stellar date. He, he did a great romantic night. It was, it was what he made me this whole seven course meal. And it was just like, he, he brought his game. So he won me over. So, but we got married in six months. And so everyone knows who's been married any length of time. That first year of marriage is a get to know you kind of time period. Mm. And we didn't really know each other all that extraordinarily well before we got married. So it was a little rough. The first year was maybe a little rough. And there came a time when Mike said to me, I think we should go to church. And I said, I don't think we should. And he said, um, 
I, I really do. I think it'd be good for our marriage. I think we should go to church. And I go, well, you don't go to church. And Mike has a history where he had gone to church as a child, but his best friend was killed in college. And he really blamed God and was angry at God and had walked away and mm-hmm. really had a few rough years away from God um, that were very, very rough. And so he recognized that there was something that married people had had at church that maybe we needed. And so in our home that we lived in when we were first married, just down the street was this Lutheran church. And he said, just go once, one time. And I'm like, okay, fine, you know, like, I'll go. So I went, and I told him, they only want your money. You know, this is what, I'm, this is like the, this is like the record player that my dad had put in my sure. head about church. You know, they only want your money. That's all it's about. You know, they, and hypocrisy was a real trouble for him. Yes. And he didn't really understand that all humans are sinful. And right. so um, it just, it, it was rough. So I was giving him the record player of why we shouldn't go to church. And I said, they just want your money, blah, blah, blah. We go to church. It's Tithing Sunday. The sermon oh, was about tithing. Of course. Of course it was, because God has a sense of humor. And I told you I was a little stubborn, and I had a little bit of a shell, and probably much bigger shell then. And I was kind of ang- well, a little more than a little angry. I was like, see, I, I told you, this is what it's about. Why do you want to go to this? And he's like, well, will you just meet with the pastor just once? I mean, I, for some reason, Mike was relentless at this time. Like, he really saw that we needed this. And I said, I'll meet with him. So I went and met with Pastor Fran Lee. And Fran and I started the conversation with my undergraduate degrees in psychology. And um, I said to him, how do you know that Jesus wasn't schizophrenic? I have children that I work with who think they're Jesus Christ. So explain to me how you have any founding for this, Mm -hmm. this human being being a divine creature. And so we started there, and he gave me a book called More Than a Carpenter with Josh McDowell. And I I was very intellectual about how I approached things. I'd always been a great student. I graduated magna cum laude. I I really prided myself on my intellect and how very, very smart I was at the time. And so he started feeding me books, and then we started going to classes. We didn't go to church. We just went to classes. And there was a class period, and I said, I just don't get it. I don't understand why Jesus had to die on a cross. Why This makes no sense to me why someone had to die. And literally across the room, like a 45-year-old man, which might have been, may as well have been 80 to me at that time. I was like an old man across the room. It's like half my age now. But he said, I, I'm with her. Like, why did he have to die? Like, why was this necessary? And Fran did this beautiful job. He's such a kind and calm human being. And he explained literally why Jesus came to earth. And, and, and it was interesting to me that there were people who had been church for a really long time who had this burning question, of, but why didn't they ask? And it's because sometimes I think when people are in church for a long period of time, people ex- assume they're very spiritually mature and that they have all the answers. And they quit asking questions. So my very and naive approach to ask a question because surely everybody else in the room knows the answer. And to surely, this. why don't you know this? You've been sitting right. in my pew for how long, kind of thing. So <laughs> it started to be an epiphany for a lot of people in this class, and all of a sudden, it was just literally like a light bulb went off. And so I what thought, what was the answer he gave? He he said, you know, he had he came to atone for our sins, and by you know they'd been sacrificing animals, and mm-hmm. by shedding Jesus's blood, it was it put an end to all of that. And covered all of our sin to block us from God seeing our sin. It basically puts a shield over Christians that say, I'm a Christian, and this blood's going to block God from seeing that impurity that he cannot have, the sin. And so it was just really, it was was a great description. It was Mm -hmm. beautiful. And a light bulb just went off in my head, and I'm like, I totally get that. I understand. And I'd read enough archaeological evidence, and I'd read, you know, like through some of the historical facts that indeed this human being walked, and indeed he did some miracles, and all of this. And I was like, he, he really was more than human. I, I get it. And he was so excited. It was so cute. He's like, you must be baptized now. <laughs> and so a couple weekends later, I'm very introverted by nature, and so a couple weekends later, we did a private baptism, and um, I was baptized. And I was I was reluctant to um, 
you know, I didn't go, like most Christians, I, I didn't go out evangelizing or anything right away. It took a long, long time for me to be um, outspoken about faith. I always felt like I was very spiritually immature. I always felt inferior to all the people who had grown up in church and knew all the stories. And in fact, our kids going to private Christian school from pre-K up, I'm like reading their materials, you know, I'm like <laughs> listening to things. I'm like looking at their Bible verses and and it took me a while to really feel comfortable and say, you know, it's really not about how much knowledge you have. It's about the faith and how you can express it mm-hmm. so that other people can grasp onto it. So I think all of my life, this time period of frontier justice where we have been very overtly Christian and public about it and our giving, we'd always been very private about our giving up to that point. But to be very public with it changes things. I really actually don't like that part of having a business and giving and having people see what you give and reporting Mm -hmm. it and having, ugh, I don't like all that. But I do think it's very valuable to see confident women talking to other women. Like we had Concerned Women for America in our parking lot one time for the Amy Coney Barrett um, when she was going through to support her. And I was like, this is the kind of thing that I love. And that's kind of what I love about firearms in some ways. It really empowers women. Now, actual firearms women, I'm going to admit to you, um, although I love these people, they scare me. They're a little, they're not like me. Um, Many of them have been victimized in some way that they are, and I'm very fiercely independent, but it's like a whole different thing. They're very passionate about firearms. They know what they're doing. They're very confident. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're really outspoken. And I feel like that scares a lot of women. But I think firearms can be very empowering. I think Christ can be very empowering. And all these things woven together in Frontier Justice has been a really good platform to um, affect a lot of things like Concerned Women for America and making women feel comfortable again. Domestic violence is near and dear to my heart. I haven't worked in it for a long time. I rebuilt the largest battered women's shelter in Kansas City. And having done that, I I feel strongly about women who are in those terrible positions, Mm -hmm. you know, fraught with sin. But if they can have something, even if it's a non-lethal, we sell a lot of non-lethal things too, um, to protect themselves. I mean, I just think that's a fundamental human right. Mm -hmm. So... All those things woven together have, have given me a real opportunity to have a voice for the last 10 years um, as the president of Frontier Justice. So it's been fun. Yeah. So how did your family take it when you came home and were like, hey, guess what? Um, that was actually kind of <laughs> awful. Um, for years, there's a really good story in there. For years, I would take books. <laughs> I'd take books on. My dad would read. My mom would read. My dad had a lot of heart issues, which is, to me, somewhat ironic. Like, it's almost like he had 25 years of just the most agonizing heart issues medically that you could ever see. And what's funny to me is it was so much opportunity to change his actual soul heart. Mm -hmm. He never came to it. I I tried several times. I would drive him to hospital visits. I was the driver. So I I was often with him alone on long road trips because we went to Mayo Clinic um, up north. And I would bring it up, and he would get really angry. And finally, there was a time towards the end, he, he was in St. Luke's in Kansas City, and I had brought something up, and I have another sister who doesn't believe, and it ended up being this argument. And I was very, very upset. I left, and I thought, oh, I, I can't bring it up again. Like, I've just, you know, I've beat this. I can't do it anymore. But what's interesting is... Our twins were, it was around the time Frontier Justice started. He died the year we started Frontier Justice. He never saw it. So it was open, but he never got to see it. Mm -hmm. It opened in January. He died in October. So that year, the year that the twins were around 13, um, Kennedy had always, once she realized he was an atheist because she was in private Christian school, it was really hard. She like went through a time period where she had nightmares and she would cry and say, what about grandpa? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard. She cares for his soul, of course. Of course. Yes. And so um, it was getting close to the end. And she said, um, he was in the hospital. It was after I had this big argument with him. And I was like, oh, goodness. And she said, I, I'm, I need to call Grandpa and tell him about Jesus. And I was like, oh, Kennedy, I love that you want to do that. Because I'm trying to protect her, right? I'm like, I love that you want to do that. But can I do that with you? Do you think we should do that together? Because I didn't want him to be the way he had been with yeah. me to yeah. her. 
And she said, no, I want to do it by myself. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yes. I gave her my telephone because he'd always answer my calls because I'm his person from medical because my mom was not equipped. And um, she went downstairs. She came back up 10 minutes later. And I, she just looked, I'm telling you, the child looked free. And I looked into her face and I said, Kennedy, how did that go? And she said, he told me it's a fairy tale. It's all made up. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes, it's okay. I did what I was supposed to do. And I was like, that's great, honey. And she bebops off. And I'm like, what in the world? So you guys, she called him. She tells him about Jesus. He tells her it's a fairy tale. My mother was sitting next to my father when he got the call in the hospital. She overhears this conversation, and she's so angry, I find out later, at my dad for not lying to her. Why couldn't you have just lied to her and told her that you believe it? So that she wouldn't be tortured thinking that you're in hell. And because my mother was so upset that she thought Kennedy was... I didn't have the heart to tell her Kennedy wasn't upset. (laughs) I was like... She tells me that she... I said, oh, well, I didn't realize you were there. And she said, I was, and I've been texting Kennedy. And I said, you have? And Kennedy has not said this to me. And she's, my mom started reading the Bible. Well, long story short, fast forward, a lot of different people got involved in my mom's life. But my mom was saved at like 71 years old and baptized, which is rare. But it's because Kennedy had the courage to be obedient. And we've Mm -hmm. talked so much about that in our family. I mean, that's kind of the call to frontier justice was about obedience above all else. Like God said, I gave it to you. I need you to give it back to me. And honestly, Mm -hmm. when the time period when we thought frontier justice might fail, because believe me, there was a time period. I thought the very worst part of that was going to be that people knew we were out on faith and they were going to say, where's their God now? Right. Where is he? Yeah. And then I had to just let go of that and say, if we're going to give God the glory for a victory, then we're going to have to let him have the failure too, if it fails. But it was so hard to think about that for our kids' sake, for all the people in the public that we had been so open with the fact that we felt called to this. We were being obedient. But I love that Kennedy was obedient for a lot of reasons because of Kennedy's personality. She needed that win, too. So Mm -hmm. I told her later when Grandma was saved, that was you, baby. I mean, you did that. You you planted that seed. And she cried. And and she's not like a big... I mean, she does actually cry a lot, but maybe not at (laughs) things like that. So um, it it was a win all the way around that my... so, So I guess for me, that was another lesson in... You know, a lot of people don't like to talk to people who don't believe because they're like, they're never going to change. They're dug in. They're this. They're that. But sometimes when you talk to that person, you don't know who else is going to be touched on the outside of that. So she was talking to grandpa, Mm -hmm. but grandma is the one who felt guilty that he didn't lie. Yeah. And then ultimately ended up saved. And she's one of those people that like literally it was like a switch flipped She's an entirely different human being, and I honestly have a relationship with her today that I would not. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so. And to think that, like you said, the call to obedience, which of course is different in each of our lives, it's before us every day. And so if we choose... I've again. missed it. Hasn't yes. everyone? Oh, yes. Oh, oh my yes. God. <laughs> and aren't you every tortured? Day, every day I feel like I've missed some step. Yeah. Yes. I, it's torturous. I've missed several steps. We went through infertility to have our twins. And I remember what a struggle that was because I was a fairly new believer at the time. And um, I'll never forget Pastor Lee Fran saying to me later, years later, I really thought you'd do something with that infertility, like, you know, like Sarah in the Bible. And I'm like, I failed. I failed. Why didn't I start Sarah's Soldiers, which is like a thing now, I think, for infertile women. I'm like, that was my calling, and I totally missed it. Sorry. Oh, no. He sent somebody else, I guess. You know, like, you know, everybody has these moments that they miss, and I've I've missed a couple. I'm not not sitting here perfect. I know we all have. We all have missed saying yes. But the, the joy is in seeing the yeses and the blessing that God gives from the yes. The blessing that Kennedy received in her life, the peace in her heart. She's like, I did what God wanted me to do. And she came out of that door and you were like, she just looks free. She looks free. Yeah. And the yes that we I for a moment thought maybe he maybe he said, I, I get this. <laughs> but she was just free. She was free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you never know. I mean, I always say this to people. You don't know what moments are in the final moments of people's lives, particularly when they're in hospice. And I did have this moment with my dad. I was in the hospital with him alone, which I often was. And it was overnight. And I will never forget this moment. I went to the bathroom to wash my face. And it was like 4 a.m. And you know how they come and do the rounds. And you know they're coming. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to mess everything up. I came back to the room and there was a respiratory therapist and I'd seen him before over my dad and my dad was staring into his face and he was praying out loud, which normally my dad would not have any part of. Like people would, like the we would always have, pa- yes. okay. wow. we would often have pastors come by hospital rooms at various times because the man had three heart attacks, 12 stents, a valve replacement, wow. <laughs> three bypass surgeries. I mean, I spent a lot of time in a hospital and he would always, no, no, no. He'd have friends say, can I pray with you? No, no. He just absolutely would say no. And so this man was praying out loud. And you know those hospital lights above the bed? It was like clicked on. So like my dad's face is illuminated. His face is illuminated. He's praying out loud. And my dad is looking straight into his face. Wow. And I was like, is something happening here? I don't know. I hope so. (laughs) And I'll never know, you know, until later. Mm-hmm. But what a good piece to hang on to. Right. I've told my mother that, too, because now that she is a believer, it's very sure. torturous to be married yes. to somebody for 50 years and think that they might not be there when you get to heaven. Mm-hmm. So this that's a hard thing. So it's, like, beautiful that she believes, but it's also got this sad component because she's terrified. I mean, mm-hmm. she's literally been in tears with me. Like, I don't know where he's at. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I'm like, well, you have to hold on to hope and... God's a God of healing and forgiveness, and I don't know what happened in his final hours. I mean, you get till that final hour. I mean, the man on the cross next to Jesus. Right? His final hour. That's right. Right? And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was his last, maybe, hour of, of his life. So. Right. Right. So, mm. it's an interesting story for sure, and I'm I'm thankful that, it, that Kennedy was obedient. I'm mm-hmm. thankful that... Mike and I were obedient to the call of Frontier Justice. It's definitely been worth it. The people that work for us are some of the biggest blessings in our lives. I mean, some of these kids that work for us, I say kids, they're millennials, you know, 20 to to 30s. They're like... Those those youngsters. They're like children. I always wanted a lot of children, but it was really hard to have our children. And so um, I feel like I was gifted another little set of children in some ways. So it's been a beautiful thing. And it's nice to look at... You know, you're at kind of a, a new page one of a new chapter. Like, here you are, and you're in Oklahoma. Right. Of all places. I and know. You are living uh, by the lake. And what is the Lord going to do with you and Mike? And it's kind of cool. Page one, turn the page and find out. We don't know. We don't so, know. So, what brought you trying to Oklahoma? listen? Was We're it? actually going to build a frontier justice okay. in Oklahoma. So, that was part of it, but really. <laughs> That that's not exactly truthful either because that's not really why we came. It's just, it's one of those things. I don't know if you guys have this. We have this all the time in our lives. When tumblers line up and just all of a sudden things start happening and it's like the decisions are easy. We bought a second home here in Oklahoma and we thought it would be a lake home. And then just through a series of steps, I was like, it's silly to have two houses. We shouldn't have two houses. We can work from Oklahoma. Let's just move here. And Mike's like, yeah, sure. I mean, like, who makes these decisions like this? (laughs) Yeah, okay. You all seem to make decisions pretty, you know, you decide what you want and you just make the decision. We do. And we stick with it. You know, I I feel like um, people are always seeking happiness when actually happiness is a choice. But I feel like when tumblers like this fall into place, like just one after another, after another, after another, I feel like God is lining up tumblers for another section of the book kind of thing. And so I look forward to what's next. Mm-hmm. We're just waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a website? We do. Fashion? Yes. It's frontier-justice.com. So there's okay. a hyphen in between frontier and justice. So we'll make sure in our show notes to have that website and then... Um, we also would just like to know, what are some things that you would like to, before we wrap it up, like, what do you want to make sure listeners know, like, oh, you have to know about this resource, or this book, or this amazing scripture, or something that just is um, a lifeline for you? Well, I feel like that Priscilla Schreier um, study on the armor of God was mm-hmm. really, really useful. I don't know if it was the timing or just the purpose of it. 
And um, I, I had never studied that part of Ephesians before, so that was really impactful. I feel like the book A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel is a really great book um, for people who are sort of seeking and not 100% believing yet. Mm-hmm. And I really would encourage people to listen to Christian music who are on, on the seeking path or even just going through a hard time. It's amazing what can happen if that's all you listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Christian music, I just feel like that's life-changing. I don't know why so much because I don't love music. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> but I really love Christian music because I feel like it touches, it gets past the shell. Mm-hmm. It touches the inside of me, which is where God wants to be, right? He wants to be yes. there. And so I feel like that's one of the few things that actually gets there for me. So those are my, I'm, I'm not really deep in the water on. I love it. No. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one they made a movie of? A case yes, for Christ? I saw okay, the movie. Yeah, I was thinking that movie. it was a movie. It is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. We did a Bible study on it, Mike and I, years ago, A Case for Christ. I did the psychological portions, and he did some of, oh, some of the historical portions and whatnot. I mean, I think, when I don't know, it was, it was a good class. We had a lot of people. We had like 45 people in that class. I haven't taught a class in forever, though. I'm not a teacher. I'm just going to mess up. It's like not my thing. <laughs> I'm not a teacher. I didn't homeschool for a reason. I'm not a teacher. But um, it was it was fun to do the class, and I think it's because that book was so meaningful mm-hmm. to me. I the Really, the intellectual approach, I think the archaeological evidences, I think there's a lot of Internet sites, you know, like the Christian Post always has a lot of Facebook things that are, you know, they found new archaeological evidence, they did this. I feel like those things are so affirming mm-hmm. to... Um, people really grasping and needing to know because I think everybody wavers in faith occasionally but when you can say definitively there is this mug they you know it was found here and it dates to this it corroborates this you know when you can start linking together history archaeology I'm so excited to go to Israel because I think it'll be really really um that will overlap nicely with everything else. And you know what, listeners, if you are one of the people that you're sitting there thinking, you know, that's me today, because maybe you have been dealing with doubts and just thinking, well, how do I know this is all true? And even Jesus' own disciple said to him, Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. So we just bring ourselves to the Lord right where we are, and we don't try to fake it with him. We just tell him, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm here I am, I do believe in you, but I'm still like, just help me with my unbelief. And, you know, our honesty is never something we need to be afraid of sharing with God. He can handle every doubt and every question we ever have. So yeah. just take it to Him. So. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, Anna, thanks for, for having me. It was fun. Welcome. Thanks for celebrating our fourth birthday. Ah, happy birthday. <laughs> you know, birthday parties with the twins were the best. Oh, I had a Hunger Games birthday party once that everyone's been trying to replicate. So <laughs> that good. The kids are still talking about it. It was like sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a blast having you today, and thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, to this happy birthday, fourth birthday episode of Afraid Not. We're so grateful to Bren for sharing her story. And one of the favorite things I am taking away from this episode, in fact, what if I cross-stitched this on a pillow, Jill, if I cross-stitched? I I would buy it and put it on my couch. Okay, well, I'm thinking about something she said. Worry is like wondering if God's really got this. And there's no point in worrying. You know what? He does. God's got this. We can trust him. I love that that she said that. I do too. And I like the motto of their mission is faith, family, and freedom. And I just think that that fits them perfectly. So we're so excited that you joined us today. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell us happy birthday, whatever you feel. And we'll see you back again in a couple weeks. See you in two weeks.